I had it on and then I turned it off, sorry. We are up to number three in our sermon series where we're going through John 14, 15, and 16. This is a, a, a final time that Jesus has to teach his disciples before he goes to the cross and he's preparing them to follow him after the cross and the resurrection. And so that's kind of where we've been at. We, we talked the first week of it about how, what happens when we die. Like the, the worry is if Jesus is going to be killed, will the disciples face death? And Jesus reassures them, you need not worry. When that time comes, I will come and take you to be with me. In my father's house, there's, there's plenty of room. Need, need not fear that. And then last week we talked about how, you know, if you're going away, what, what are we supposed to do? How do we know the way? And Jesus says, the way is still the same. Keep following me. It's still going my direction. This week now, we're going to talk about, like, what does it look like to follow me? What's the necessary component? If, if Jesus is going to the Father, what will then be needed for the disciples to follow him? And, and the question that comes up is, if you are going away, will we be left on our own? Will we be left alone? What, what happens for that? And so, have you ever thought about being completely left to face life on your own? And I remember thinking about it a long time ago when I watched this movie, Castaway. Who's seen it? Okay, wow. Normally I ask if you've seen a thing and like there's like maybe five people in the whole crowd. So obviously Tom Hanks, yes, superhero movies, not so much. All right, now I understand. So for Tom, like, I, I enjoyed this movie. No, Enjoy is not the right word. It was a good movie. But I don't know if I ever would want to watch it a second time because that, that it's uncomfortable thinking what would you do if you had to live completely alone on a desert island. And so the character Tom Hanks has to figure out life and he's so alone, the only... He, he creates a friend in, in Wilson the volleyball. And that becomes, quote, his only friend that he has. I also started to really think about this question through, through a guy I met um, back in Ohio when I was, I was living there and doing the church there, a guy named Robbie Grandstaff. And I, I just want to tell you about him a little bit. He came um, into our, our place through the neighborhood meal. The church used to do a, a meal after after worship once a month or so. And, and Robbie came. He didn't have a lot. He lived one block from the church in a, in a not great apartment, you know, nice enough apartment, but um, lived, and so lived downtown Zanesville. And he had some struggles. He had had a stroke, so he, his arm didn't work too well. He, he was on disability. Um, and he was also com pretty much completely on his own. Um, Robbie had become estranged, you know, ex-wife, and he had become estranged from all his children. Robbie kind of had a, a stubborn streak, and um, I could see why he might have struggled with some of those relationships. So he was living on his own, and he had just enough to live at, live on. He ate at the soup kitchen, which is right nearby his, his apartment, um, but I was glad he, he, he not only started coming to our free meal that we did, he started coming to worship every so often. And so that was kind of rare. And so I would talk to him and got to know him. And he was, he was somewhat lonely. Um, and one time he asked for help 
from the church, and we, we did help him. I, I don't remember specifically what for, but Robbie did something no one else had ever done. He paid it back. And so every so often in my office, I'd find a $20 bill that he was, he was slowly paying back the help the church gave him. Um, later, he had heart issues, and he had no other contact person he could put. So I ended up being the contact that the, the hospital called. And I remember visiting with him and, and it was a little before COVID and he was in the hospital and I knew if I didn't go visit, no one else would. He was that alone in life. And then when COVID hit and you couldn't visit and then I moved away um, so long after, later I got a call from the social worker that he had died. And I thought about that truth. Did, did this poor guy die completely alone? No one to visit. No one who was with him other than maybe the nurses. And, and part of me was broken over that. But I also knew Robbie was not alone. As, as weak, not weak, as, as struggling in this faith he might be at times, he still believed in Jesus. And the Lord was with him, even in all that. That's the thought that grabbed me. That, that when we bring Christ into our life, we will never truly be alone again, no matter what happens. Jesus' disciples are struggling with this, right? If you're going away, Jesus, what will be left for us? Will you be leaving us? We'll be on our own from, from here on out. And Jesus in this passage is saying, no, in fact, you will experience the presence of God in a new way beyond what you've ever experienced before. It'll actually be a closer relationship than you would have when we were walking from town to town together. And so we're going to start in verse 15 and, and kind of go through this. And so I invite you on, our, on the green sheet that we had, had out is, is the whole passage. If you want to be able to kind of see that and, and read along, it's not, I'm going to have little bits on the screen, but I'm not going to have the whole passage. But it, he starts off verse 15, it says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. So ma- making clear that this presence of the spirit we're going to talk about comes within a love relationship between us and Jesus Christ. It's, it's a love relationship. It's not just an adherence. But this is something else. When he uses the word, keep my commands or commandments, this is covenant language. This is the same language that God would use when he would bring a new covenant into being. And the, the giving of the Ten Commandments that was keep these commands. So God was making a covenant with the people and the people would respond. And, and so God had this habit of making covenants. And now through Jesus, a new covenant would, would take place. And our part in the covenant is to learn his ways, to keep his word. Nick talked about this very well last week, talking about it's, it's important that God's people, not just the leaders, know the word and, and keep that. So that's, that's the start of this. And then verse 16, he begins to address this idea of him going away. And he says, and I will ask the father and he will give you another helper who will be with you. Now, 
was it say, you know, there's one word that should really jump out as we read that verse. He will be with you for a little while and then he'll take off, right? He'll be with you until you screw up really bad. He'll be with you until you get caught in a sin. He'll be with you until you have a crisis of doubt or until you end up alone in the hospital. That word, he will be with you forever. That echoes what Jesus said in Matthew 28, right? When he says, I, I, I will be with you always to the very end of the age. The, the first thing to know about the coming of the Spirit is, is, is this helper will be God's presence within us forever. It is a covenant relationship, right? God is faithful to his covenants even when his people are not so faithful. This is true even if we struggle and fall down from time to time. He is with us. If we, we screw up, he's not going to just kick us to the, to the side. That's important. Um, the, the other word that should jump out is the word helper. And so, it, it's so funny. The, the, class, the 101 class that Greg is leading, we were doing this very same thing. and he, So like half the stuff we talked about is what we're talking about today. But we talked about the paraclete or the, the in Greek it's the parakletos. It's, that's the word here, and it, it's translated encourager, advocate, helper, intercessor. The, the word just more literally means one who comes alongside. So Jesus was the other, or, or it says, I will send you another parakletos. Jesus was the first parakletos, right? He came alongside the disciples and walked with them for three years, now he is going to the Father, so he's going to send another Parakletos who will now walk with them forever. That's that's what this is saying. Um, as we walk through life, we have one who walks with us, one who speaks words into our lives. That's actually the the Kletos part has one. It has to do with speaking or calling to. So we have one who encourages us, who who supports us, who, who guides us through. We are not left to face life alone, even if we end up facing life with no human being near us. If I end up on a desert island with only a volleyball as my friend, I'm not really alone because Jesus is with me. Um, verse 17 talks then about more about this parakletos, and it says the parakletos is also the spirit of truth. So now we're getting to this idea of the spirit. The spirit means something that is not of this material world. If something is spirit, it's of God's world. It's, it's, it's beyond our material world. Not just emotion. Emotion's not spirit. Um, it's, it's, so spirit means it's of God, and it's a spirit of truth, so it bears true knowledge of God and the things of God. Now, realize there are false spirits. There are spiritual things that are, are not true. Um, sometimes they're called unclean spirits. Sometimes the Bible calls them demons, right? There are spiritual powers active in this world that are not of God. 
And so just because something is spiritual does not necessarily mean it's good. It's vital we get connected to this parakletos, the spirit of truth who will guide us and lead us. And then Jesus goes on to say, the world cannot receive the spirit. The, the world cannot see or understand the Holy Spirit of God. So when the world talks about spiritual things, they often have a very different conception. Um, sometimes they just mean human creativity or imagination. The world has a different spirit. In fact, in another verse, it talks about the spirit of the age or the spirit of the air that's at work in leading people away from God. So realize we need to connect to God's true spirit that we know through Jesus. That's the spirit we need. So when, and the other truth is, is when we receive the spirit of God in our life, we're going to see the world in a different way. We're going to understand things the world cannot grasp. If we go along with the world and its ways, ultimately we're going to be led away from God and, and his truth. In order to walk with God, in order to walk in the truth, we need his spirit leading us and guiding us, living in us. And so Jesus says, reiterates, that parakletos dwells with you and will be in you. That's, that's the thing. So if you're one of the disciples and you're in, in the upper room where this conversation's taking place and Jesus says, you know, I'm going to send this other helper. He's going to be with you. He's going to live inside you. You'd be like, Jesus... Why are you giving us this strange new thing? You know, th- I, we don't understand. Like, like it would have seemed other to, to them. And that's what he says. So in verse 18, he clarifies, this is actually not some strange new thing. He says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Right? The spirit he's sending is himself. After the cross, when Jesus was killed, they would feel like orphans, would they not? Like they'd given themselves to following him and then, and then he's gone. And then he would be raised from the dead and he would be with them in, in one way um, and then he's going to depart again to ascend to the Father. And so he's saying, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I will come to you. The, the parakletos is not a stranger. It is Jesus, and it's the presence of Jesus. The same spirit that was upon Jesus throughout his life is now going to come to them. It says, the world won't see, see me. You know, as far as the world is concerned, I'm dead. I'm still in the tomb. But you will see me. You will see me alive, raised from the dead, and then you will see me by this presence living in your life. That's how you will know you, in fact, you will see me even more through the Spirit because I'm, I'm here with you always. Um, in that day, so yeah, so even more you'll see me and you'll know me through this. And then verse 20 is interesting. It says, in that day, so when this time comes, you will know, you will know that I am in the Father and you are in me and I am in you you're going to be able to understand something that otherwise you couldn't grasp because of the Holy Spirit dwelling in you. And, and that is the concept we call the Trinity. The Trinity is that, that there's one God 
in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. As a concept, the Trinity is, is very difficult to explain. In fact, I challenge you, go, go try to explain to a bunch of middle schoolers the idea of the Trinity. Like, you know, you have all kinds of images and, and things, but, or, or to explain to someone who's, who's not a Christian. It's just, it's difficult. But what, what this is saying is that because of the Spirit living in you, you will be able to understand it in practice, right? Because I could say, God's Spirit is with me, is in me, so I have the Holy Spirit. But I also know that that Spirit is Christ. Christ is living in me. And then I also say, but that Spirit is also God living with me. And so, in a sense, it makes more sense in experience in the Spirit than it does trying to elucidate it in theological terms. In Romans 8, 9 to 11, I, I'm not going to read it, it's in your references. In those two verses, or three verses, it talks about like five or six different names for the Spirit. It says the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Christ, Christ within you, the Spirit who raised him from the dead. All of those are referring to the one and same Spirit. I, I know in Ron's class, they're going through Ephesians, right? Uh, one Lord, one, one faith, one God, one Spirit, and you know, there's only one. Um, but it's the Spirit of Christ, it's the Spirit of God, they're all together. That makes more sense as you walk with Christ and the Spirit than it does if you just try to put it, in, put it on paper. Verse 21, Jesus comes back to the idea of keeping his commands. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he is the one who loves me. And it goes on to say, and, and you will be in relationship, you'll be loved by my Father. And, and then that's how you will be, see me. You'll be, to me, made manifest. Is made, it's made visible, made seeable. I will be made seeable as you, you do this. So there's two interwoven components to being a disciple of Jesus Christ that cannot be separated. And I want to try to illustrate this for you. So I, I, I enjoy camping. Let's go over here. And as do, um, I know many of you go to camps. And you're always going to, of course, you're going to make a campfire. To make a good campfire, of course, you've got to have your wood, right? And so those of you who've done this before, you know that when you make wood, you don't just pile the wood close to each other. You want to kind of create a little bit of almost like a pyramid, Right? so that there's air and gaps in between. And that's the best way then to make a fire. You create the structure with space. So, so in case you're ever doing this, this is, found this is the best way to do a fire. Um, now here's the, here's the thing. What we need in our spiritual life is we need the, the structure of the word of God, the, the scriptures, right? We need that, but that alone is not enough. Right? This is not yet a fire. Right? The, 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 you could have the wood and still not have a fire. Likewise, I know how to do this now for those of you around at Christmas. Um, likewise, you can have fire. You know, you can have a little flame, but without the wood to work upon it, you don't have a campfire. Right? And what you need is both working together. You need the structure of the word, but then you also need the infilling 
the indwelling, I'd say, of God's spirit to make the fire work. And I know that's a little silly um, illustration, but I was doing the sermon in my, we're having a nice cozy fire in the living room. So this sort of occurred to me a little bit. So, so let me demonstrate then how this, that. Um, two interwoven things, the written word and then the Holy Spirit in the in-between spaces that makes the fire of Christ in our life. The disciples then ask a question, a little question and answer. And, and I love how they first clarify, it's Judas who asks it, but says, oh, but not that Judas, right? Not Judas Iscariot. Um, so they clarify who, and the question is, how will you manifest yourself to the world? Or maybe other versions say, show yourself to the world, well, you know? And, and it's, it's kind of like, how, how will the world see you, Jesus? How will the world see and understand who you are? If you're going back to the Father, how will they ever see it? And then there's also a why in this question, right? Jesus, why are you showing yourself to us, but not to the world? It would be a lot easier for us if you just made some appearance every so often, you know, showed up, glow, glow a little bit, heal some people. Just that would make our job, you know. And Jesus says in verse 23, so the answer is, if a person loves me, Here's how he answers our question. If, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. He will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home within him. Right? He will keep my word and, and we will dwell within his life. And so the only way to see God, the only way to see Christ in this world is to come into a personal covenant relationship with the Savior. That is the only way to see it. And he clarifies, if, if someone doesn't love me and doesn't keep my words, then, then they won't see me. They won't know who I am. They won't understand. He says, that is the word, and this word you hear is not my own. That's the Father's. That's God's plan of how things are going to work, how the Father, this is the plan for how God is going to make himself known within the world. People coming into contact with Jesus, walking, deciding to be his disciples and being filled with the Spirit. What I want to talk about, and, and I, kind of, I want to make six points out of this. I think there's six aspects to one idea and that I'm calling the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. This idea that he takes up residence within our life. The, the word in, this, in verse 23, and we will come to him and make our home with him. It's actually the same word from back in verse 2. Where, when Jesus says, in my father's house there are many rooms or, or resting places. It's now... This is the resting place. So in, it flips it, right? Instead of us going to the Father's house, he makes ourselves his house. We, we sang Psalm 84, right? How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord Almighty. You know, better is one day in the house of the Lord than a thousand elsewhere. Well, now God flips it and says, okay, I'm going to make my dwelling within you and in your life. The indwelling 
of the Holy Spirit. We become a resting place for him. So there's six points I want to make out of that. Um, First of all, I want to contrast it with the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, God's Spirit shows up. um, But he did not dwell with people individually. He dwelt amidst God's people in in the tabernacle or temple. He was with them. And at times, his Spirit would come upon people, usually the special people. The prophets or Moses or, or someone else. He came upon Samson and gave him immense strength. He came upon the prophets to speak his word or the, or the kings to provide leadership. Um, and so in the Old Testament, it was just kind of come and go. What Jesus is saying here is the Holy Spirit's going to be an indwelling presence, not for the special people, but for all of God's people. There's another contrast is, is that in the Old Testament, it seems like the Spirit would come and go from people's lives. And the, the, the clearest example is that of, of King Saul, who has God's Spirit at one point, but then disobeys God, turns away from him, and God's Spirit withdraws, leaving Saul subject to unclean spirits who, who torment him, who, who he, he basically turns into a, a mess. Like he, he tries to kill people and can't make decisions and he's, he's depressed all the time and, and it's because God's spirit withdrew from him. And, in, and David, the, the successor to Saul as king, sees that. And his great fear is losing God's spirit so that when David does something sinful, he, he does against God, He's worried. And in Psalm 51, it says, cast me not away from your presence. Take not your Holy Spirit from me. David saw that that could happen. And and he was gratefully fearful of it. What we have now, because of the indwelling, is that we, we, we do not need the fear of God's Spirit leaving us. Though we are faithless, he will be faithful. We have the promise, the covenant promise, um, and so praise be to God, we're, we're not saved by our deeds because we get it right all the time. Now, I want to note something. Sometimes, though, if we're walking with Christ and we, we do steer into disobedience, we may face conviction by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit within us will, will actually bring almost like emotional pain, like we think about something, and that's God's Spirit convicting us of of doing wrong and, and leading us into right. And, and if we continue in, in such behavior, if we continue to reject God's ways and, and we have unconfessed sin in our life, we may not experience the peace and joy of the Spirit. Even if he doesn't withdraw from us, we may not feel that, feel that presence, that joy and peace. That's why David prays in Psalm 51, restore to me the joy of of my salvation. He wanted God's presence to bring that, that sense of well-being. So we have the promise of God's, of the Spirit backed by God's faithfulness. When the Spirit came, God did it in a very visible and dramatic way. Fifty days after this conversation with the disciples on what's called Pentecost, The group of disciples were praying. Jesus had ascended back to the Father. They were waiting for God to do something, and it says the Holy Spirit came upon them, and and God showed it visibly. He says there were little tongues of fire 
right, on each of them, signaling this is my spirit. Like God was going to make it obvious. He he wasn't going to give them any doubt that his spirit was coming. Little tongues of fire, they started speaking in tongues they didn't understand or know before that and praising God. And when the crowd saw it, they, they were like, what's going on? And, and Peter explained to the crowd, this is about Jesus, the one who, who was crucified, the one who was raised from the dead. It's about, it's about Jesus, and now because of him, God's spirit has come. And that leads us into the next thing is, how then do you receive the spirit? Because the crowd says, well, well what do we do? And Jesus says, if you want it, or Peter says, if you want in on this, and here's what you do. It says, repent. And be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This is Acts chapter 2. So we repent means turning away from wrongdoing and turning to God. It's a heart thing. And then baptism, it's, it's a, you know, it's a thing we do with water, but it's also a covenant marker. Baptism is about the covenant, entering into a covenant relationship. It, baptism is the sign we're giving that say we want to be in covenant with, with our Lord Jesus Christ. If the, those two things are the way into receiving the gift of the Holy Spirit. And he goes on to say this promise is for you right now, you who hear me, and it's for your children, and it's for all who are far off whom God will call. This promise is now operating in the world. When we, we, we want to believe in Jesus Christ, we repent, we turn to God, and we enter into a covenant relationship with baptism as its symbol, then God's ready and willing to give his, his Holy Spirit and send it upon us. And then another place it talks about the seal of the Holy Spirit, what it means. And this is Ephesians 1. And it talks about how the Holy Spirit comes. It says, it says, you were included in all that Jesus is doing. You were included when you heard the word of truth, right? You heard the word and you believed it. And then what happened? You know, you believe the gospel, the good news of Jesus. You believed in him. It says, you were then sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, the, the image from the ancient world would be like a wax seal that seals a letter. It marks you as his. Like a king would use his seal to say, this letter is from me. The seal, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit, and that seal is a guarantee of our life with God. That life that lasts forever. And it says this, this, uh, the spirit guarantee of our inheritance until the day we acquire possession, that in, the possession of our inheritance to the praise of his glory. So we're, we receive the Holy Spirit and we're, it, the guarantee is that he will be with us always to that very end of the age. The last aspect I want to comment on when the spirit comes into our life, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. If you let him in, you also give him ownership. It's like, you know, it says he will come dwell in the home, our home. Um, It's like if you let him in your house, you're acknowledging he's the true owner of the house. You belong to him. You are not your own. You were bought at a price. And the price being 
the blood of Jesus and giving his life as a sacrifice. So it's saying, Lord Jesus, I am yours forever, here and out. And I want to live my life for you. It says, the life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. His spirit begins to lead you and change you and shape you. And it begins to mark who you are and you live in a different way. Instead of being marked by the things of this world that doesn't know the things of God, you begin to be marked by God. The fire spreads um, within your own life, right? The spirit takes over room after room after room as you slowly learn to, to trust him with the different aspects of your life. And you are his and he is yours. And he's alive within you and you have life like you're never meant to, like you've never lived it apart from him before. That is the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And maybe God brought you here this morning so that you have this opportunity to invite God's spirit into your life, to be with you, to, to come into your life, to take residence within you. Maybe you've, you've, maybe you've studied the word, but this part about the spirit never, never clicked with you. Maybe you're completely new to the things of Jesus. You, you've, you've attended other religious things and just weren't sure about it. This morning, you can come and receive. The spirit is with us. He's here in, in this place. And so I want to invite you to just speak to the Lord and invite him into your life. We're going to sing a song about the Holy Spirit and kind of adding this. So if, if you, during this song, and kind of have a prayer time leading into it, if you want to come and just pray at the altar and, and, and say to the Holy Spirit, come in my life, I want to invite you to do that. Later, we're going to have uh, people in that corner ready to pray with anyone. If you're really new to this and you want someone to pray with you for this issue, they'd be happy to do that. But as, as we, we come... Are you ready to receive God's spirit? You could do it in your seats if you wish, but if you want to come up and kneel at the altar as a, as a sign to say, Lord, I want you to come in my life, this is the time. It may be God brought you here for this very reason today. Let's just invite God's spirit to come upon us. Father, I thank you that that you send the Spirit, you have sent the Spirit upon your people. And I thank you that whenever someone puts their trust in your Son, Jesus Christ, that you come to them. You come into their inner being. And so, Lord, we want to know you in this way. We want to have your Spirit filling our heart and life. And so right here and now, we, we say, Jesus, Spirit, come. Fill us. Come into our life. Indwell us. Be with us forever. And we give you our heart and life. We give all that we know of ourselves to all that we know of you. Make that your prayer right now.